Welcome to the Sugar Science Podcast, where our mission is to highlight and connect researchers in the type 1 diabetes space. I'm Monica Wesley, your host for today's podcast. And today I have the distinct pleasure of speaking with uh, Dr. Peter Sr. and Kate Feinworth. And um, we are going to be talking mainly about their roles uh, at Connect T1D, which is a new initiative based in Canada and Toronto. Um, Peter Sr. is uh, a professor of medicine and the medical director at the Clinical Islet Transplant Program at the Alberta Health Services. And Kate Farnworth is the uh, patient is a patient uh, partner co-lead for innovations in the type 1 diabetes program. She's also been heavily involved in the do-it-yourself, we-are-not-waiting movement since her daughter, Sydney, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So welcome, Kate, and welcome, Peter. Thank you both for joining us. Thanks for the invitation. Um, I just want to... Oh yeah, no, it's our pleasure. I just wondered, um, Peter, if you could, if we could discuss your scientific background. How did you get interested in type one diabetes research? It's probably like good stories. It always starts with a bit of an accident in some ways. Uh, as you might be able to tell, I'm not from Canada. I grew up in the UK and I did my medical training there. Uh, my supervisor, when I was a first year medical student, was a professor of diabetes, who's you know very well known, and that's probably why I got interested in diabetes. Uh, along the way, I did a PhD uh, looking at diabetic kidney disease, which is, again, a, an important complication of type 1 diabetes as well as type 2 diabetes. And then as I was coming to the end of my training, I was kind of thinking, you know, well, what am I going to do for, you know, my life as a grown-up diabetes doctor? <laughs> and a good friend and colleague said, you know, well, why don't you go and find out about islet transplants? Um, so. In 2002, I came to Edmonton for a year to learn about islet transplants. And here we are 19 years later and I'm still in Edmonton. And that may tell you something about how slow I am as a learner. But um, working in the islet transplant program, I met people you know, who were really struggling with type one diabetes. And in some ways you might sort of say, you know, all conventional therapies were no longer working. And so I think it gave me a real perspective on sort of the trajectory of life and living with type 1 diabetes and how challenging it was. And that really has been the kind of the driving force be behind my sort of clinical work in looking after people with type 1 diabetes, but also driving my sort of academic work, which is, you know, clinical trials to, you know, test and develop new treatments that will make living with diabetes less challenging um, and particularly also with a view of thinking about you know how do we get to a cell transplant or a beta cell replacement model how do we reverse new onset type 1 diabetes so that's sort of my story yeah it's so important i mean you're this is a a very very important time for this type of work um, and I wonder, Kate, what about you? How did you get um, involved in type 1 diabetes research, science, et cetera? Um, well, my daughter, Sydney, was diagnosed when she was eight. She is now almost 18 years old. And I have seen uh, diabetes technology specifically evolve in that time. Uh, as you mentioned, I've been involved in the do-it-yourself diabetes movement. So um, do-it-yourself closed-loop systems. But what really interests me is the people that are not being reached by traditional research. 
I think we often uh, hear sort of this echo chamber of people who are already achieving their goals or are already super engaged. And I was really curious um, about how we reach the people who aren't as engaged, who aren't on Facebook, who aren't already signing up for clinical trials and how we could potentially um, have all those voices heard and also have them really inform the research. So um, have them work with the scientists from the beginning um, from to form the studies and really have meaningful research come out of that. So are you, in, just sort of to um, clarify this, are you guys thinking about um, first point of contact? So when a, a child or an adult is diagnosed, make the endocrinologist, endocrinologist the point of contact to connect to the scientific, to the clinical research? Or how, how does that look like? What does that paradigm look Mind like? And if I take this one, Kate, yeah. I mean, I'll give you my kind of sense first. I'm sure Kate yeah, will, no, will, go will ahead. jump in. Mm -hmm. I think that is often tempting. I think when we began, we were thinking about, well, how do we get access to people? How do we find them? How do we hook up with them? And it would be tempting to sort of say, oh, well, my clinic has got, you know, this many patients, we'll, we'll get in touch with all of them. But when we talked, I think, amongst ourselves, and I think Kate's point of it's the people who aren't connected, they're perhaps at most need. And certainly my experience in the islet transplant program was that people were coming looking for an islet transplant, that if they'd had better care 20 years ago, they might never have needed it. Yeah. And so I think we were just quite aware of the huge gaps. And there's also, I think, a degree of, well, I think access to good care is actually quite limited. There's lots of people who don't get good care and aren't connected. So if we only go after those clinics, we're going to miss a bunch of people. And there's also a degree of, I would say, mistrust. I don't know if you think that's fair, Kate, but not all doctors and healthcare providers really get it that, you know, diabetes is tough. And it's not just a matter of, well, don't you just know, why don't you just tighten up your control? It's yeah. much, much, much harder than that. And so people have had quite bad experiences about diabetes. And so when we talk to people about with diabetes about building this program, they were saying, well, approaches through people that we trust. And we might not trust our clinics that much. So we're going to kind of go every which way we can. So if there's a clinic that's involved, yeah, well, let's recruit them. But we really want to look outside that to other places where we can connect with people who otherwise wouldn't know about research and, and wouldn't be consulted, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I would add just um, from our own experience when uh, our daughter was diagnosed, the you know you're in the hospital you leave with your endocrinologist contact and then you ask about a clinical trial and then it's sort of like well yes you can go onto this website and you can see what's available but there it there there wasn't at least in our case there wasn't a a solid linking up to opportunity and i can imagine that that's going to be a widespread thing probably i mean for for we were we asked for a clinical trial probably others don't even ask so yeah. So that's, um, th that is, I think this is a real need and you guys are, are doing something of real significance. Um, what, do you, what is the mission of Connect T1D and what brought each of you to your role within it? 
to do a few things. One, we want to accelerate research because if we've accelerated research, we can bring better treatments, better technologies to the clinic faster. The clinical trials will also be essential for reimbursement. Uh, and so if we want to kind of get CGM covered or pumps covered, we're gonna need the evidence to prove that it makes a difference. So accelerating research is important you know, for lots of reasons, but not least those bits. When we talk to patients, they also wanted to have a voice. They want to have a kind of contribution to advocacy. But the other kind of longer term goal that we have is about building a type one diabetes registry. We've seen this with T1D Exchange. They have done this kind of work yeah. and they've been able to answer really, really important questions that we couldn't answer before. And unfortunately, type 1 diabetes gets lost in the mix. It's a small propor proportion of diabetes as a whole, yes. but it's got very distinct needs. And unless you can say, well, look, that we know the size of the population, or we know how good or bad the blood glucose control is, we can't really argue for more resources or more investment. Uh, and so that registry functionality, we think, is important for that policy and advocacy part that was very important to, to people with diabetes when we initially talked about the project. Absolutely. And to Kate's point, you know, there, um, well, we know just in general, you know, type one diabetes is a very heterogeneous disease. Um, there's sort of uh, many, you know, many ways to come to be diagnosed with type one diabetes. And then there's many manifestations of it once you have it. And now there's some data that suggests Globally, people, you know, different races have different manifestations of it, and maybe different genetic backgrounds contribute to it or whatever it is. And so I think, you know, how are you guys thinking about how this will make an impact for patients and their families in Canada, but also globally? Yeah, I think one of the big things that we don't know about people living with diabetes in Canada is actually how many people there are living with type one diabetes in Canada. There's no difference in the way that a doctor, you know, enters that information into their coding system. Wow. It's diabetic, it's not type one or type two. So we have no way. Um, so that I think just finding out the, the sheer number of people affected by diabetes in Canada, or type one diabetes in Canada would be a huge win for us um, wow. as a country for funding, for research, for all of those things, um, coverage, healthcare. Um, so I think that would be huge. Worldwide, I mean, patient-oriented research is really the wave of the future. And we really need to get all of those voices in and you know, collaborating. The, the days of sort of researchers over here deciding what to study and what, uh, what needs to be, what's important, you know, those days are gone. They need to really ask the people living with this day to day so that we can get, you know, treatments that are great and also um, technology solutions that are also fitting the people who will actually be using them. Yeah, that's well said. And I feel also that, um, you know, when you're talking about the technologies that are interfacing with people, that really, you know, technology itself, you always have to sort of, you have to have your UI UX, right? And, and this is really important. And so since you have a diverse population, um, all that data can, can generate more solution. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. and if I can just yeah. add on, I mean, I think we're hoping to bridge. There are there are s- systems and countries which have got great surveillance. So if you think about Scandinavia, you know they've got the Type One registry. Many of the big systems, though, are looking at at population level, and I think what we want to do is bridge to bring it back to the patient, so that if you know your A one C is high. Well, maybe we need to kind of reach out to you and say, can we help you? Rather yeah. than just saying the population's glycemic control is terrible. We need yeah. to do something about it because it's always going to start with the individual. I think in terms of Canada, it's a small country from a population perspective. You know, we're about 40 million people. We're very diverse. And so we may be able to tell things about type 1 diabetes in different ethnic groups. Mm-hmm. as a microcosm of the world in a manageable kind of size. So again, the Scandinavian yeah, registry is awesome, but they're all Caucasian. So we have a lot of uh, people from East Africa. So Somali people, Ethiopian people, they seem to get a lot of type 1 diabetes. Yeah. We have a lot of Filipino and Asian people. They seem to get a different kind of diabetes. So I think Canada has some unique strengths in terms of the diversity that we can look at in one healthcare system to a large extent that would be applicable to other parts of the world that may not have the technology to do some of this work. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's gonna, I mean, it's a really an, an excellent pool to draw data from and, and for all the reasons you spoke to. Let's just do a little deep dive on Connect T1D. You know, what is it? Who's involved? How does it work? Can you guys speak to that? And where did it begin? Yeah, <laughs> and where did it begin? It's, I think this is one of those questions that everybody knows a little bit of the truth, but nobody knows all of the truth. Um, I think my understanding was, so um, Canada has a, a research funding organization, the C- CIHR, Canadian Institute for Health Research, so a bit like the NIH on a much smaller budget. Um, one of their strategic goals was to facilitate um, patient-oriented research and so they funded a number of national networks for patient-oriented research. One of those was in diabetes. Mm-hmm. Within the diabetes network, there were a number of different goal groups. Some were sort of topic-focused and others were more sort of enablers. And we have got patient circles to guide and validate and all of those things. But then there was this, within the, the diabetes network, Type 1 diabetes was, I guess, marked off as a subsection that we should look to work with. Mm-hmm. And initially, that was about coordinating clinical trials around complications in type 1 diabetes. But I think in other work we've done in the larger network about national repositories and data and data-enabled care and population health, the idea of a diabetes registry and type 1 diabetes registry uh, came about and I was approached to help lead that work. I've got some background in epidemiology but I've also got a pretty reasonable track record in science and type 1 diabetes care and you know I think I was interviewed I don't know if I was being interviewed without me knowing but you know, what did I want to achieve? Well, I want to make the lives of people with, with type 1 diabetes better. And, and so that was really why I was attracted to, to help get involved with leading this group. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know, Kate, your story might be similar or might be a little bit different. Yeah, um, I'm not sure how I was recruited to be involved with Diabetes Action Canada, but the uh, Innovations in Type 1 Diabetes group certainly was the right fit for me and my experience. Um, and, uh, you know, this started as an idea of a registry, as we mentioned previously, but people living with diabetes really gave us the feedback that 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 wasn't a value to them, that they needed some sort of value add to sign up for a registry and really wanted to be involved in research, have research um, prepared and presented in a digestible way for them. So in a language that they would understand without, um, you know, acronyms and uh, lingo that they couldn't digest. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to know um, what part of the process the research was in. So to be able to follow it from start to finish, I think a lot of people living with diabetes have been involved in research where they're sort of treated like a guinea pig and then they never know how that trial ended up at the end and they don't get the results back in a way that they even understand or or aren't um, you know involved in the the presentation of the results at all. So people um, told us that that was important to them. So uh, Connected is basically a web application where people living with diabetes and researchers can come. The people living with diabetes enter their information and they opt in to as much as they are willing to share, they can always opt out. And uh, they learn about the trials that are available in um, plain English and then are able to, you know, request to join any of the studies that are matched with them. There's a, a sophisticated matching algorithm that looks after that. Um, and then the researchers can put their studies in and um, it helps with their recruitment as well. That's fantastic. And I wonder, so if someone's say in Toronto and they see a study that seems to be really great, uh, a good fit for them, but it's uh, in British Columbia, mm -hmm. uh, can they you know, uh, partner with some local clinic to be involved with that study or how does that work? I think that's, I, sorry, go ahead, Peter. So, so if, a, if a researcher is kind of putting their study on the site you know one of the key things i'll put in is like the location and you know what participation is required when people with diabetes register they'll put in their you know home address or postal code and i think there's probably a question about like how far would you travel kind of thing okay. and so they'll be matched up now you can see all of the studies on the site but if you're eligible or suitable it would be a match for you it will either show a check mark or a question mark. There'll be ones with a, a, an X against them and say, you know, you're not suitable. You know, it's a study in women or it's a study of pregnancy. So there is this kind of match.com-like algorithm behind the scenes. Um, I think the point you make, though, is a good one because one of the motivators has been that we've got lots of great type 1 diabetes researchers, but none of us have got big enough clinic populations to answer the big important questions. And so the idea of kind of building a network of researchers who could then do the multinational or the, the, the multi-center studies mm -hmm. will be important. So at this stage, we don't have the, the ability to kind of 
say, hey, I'd like to be in this study and, you know, my local clinic, you know, get, get on it. But it, it's, a, it's a great suggestion in terms of a direction of travel for the future. Well, you've just started out. So you've, you know, just beginning your build. We'll give us so, time. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think given time, this is, is going to really be so impactful. Um, let's just talk on the other side of things. Like, what do you think uh, are the big benefits to clinical researchers? You did touch on a couple of those, basically, you know, that they can have access to this diverse Canadian population and uh, you're helping connect them. Um, and what would be, if you want to elaborate on that, you know, feel free, but what are the benefits to academic PIs um, in, in the context of what you're doing? I think the, I think recruitment for trials is always, always harder than, than anyone expects. You know, you design your study, you have got your inclusion, your exclusion criteria for good, valid scientific reasons. But I've participated in clinical trials where our inclusion and exclusion was that we want square circles for <laughs> valid, valid scientific reasons, important scientific reasons, but we couldn't recruit. And the study, you know, folded before it was even, even begun, really. So I think that you know, broader reach of people who might be interested that have kind of already pre-screened themselves as being people who are saying, hey, I'm kind of interested to hear more about this. That, that I think just by itself would be huge. Mm -hmm. I think for maybe the, you know, academic researcher in terms of either population health or maybe more basic preclinical research, I think there are some advantages, again, maybe not yet in the, the program, but for the future. So on the population health side, if we've got a registry of people with type 1 diabetes, well, that can be interrogated with appropriately approved uh, clinical research proposals. For the academic researchers uh, who may be doing bench work or preclinical work or cellular work, I think that connection with the population to give them a platform to find out, you know, what's meaningful, what's relevant, but also to explain their work will be very, very important. And I was kind of just thinking when you talked about your daughter being diagnosed and you asking about, you know, other research studies, essentially you were told we well, can go to Google. But knowing what that, you know, this is trial. in a set, what a trial. Yeah, you know, this is in a cell line in nude mice that this works is very different from something that's like relevant for my child tomorrow and again unless you've got a scientific background it's hard to tease these things apart mm -hmm. and so I think what we'd like to see is that actually maybe this is a platform where we'll have you know basic science experts explaining in lay language what their fundamental research means and what would be the steps required to get to clinical trials so I think that will be important. But again, as they're competing for grants and funding, they're going to need to have a really good sense as to why this will be meaningful for people with living with diabetes, because those grant panels will have lay people with the disease on them. And if it doesn't pass the smell test, they'll not be successful. So I think that's an advantage, which I think will be much more relevant as time goes by, but, but important nonetheless. Yeah, I think that's very interesting. And you know, when I when um, my daughter was first diagnosed, I reached out to sort of the community and um, I formed this group called Sugar Mamas. And we had the moms come, and it was 
it's quite emotional when you first, you know, uh, have a child who's diagnosed and we had that kind of support, but I was reaching out to scientists and they would come and talk to us at this point. It was very, you know, using Skype and they would talk to us because some, there was this underlying, um, discussion, uh, in my group and, and on online from parents that we, we picked up on that uh, there'll never be a cure. Um, the drug companies are so big and uh, no one cares. The scientists are not. And I had been talking to the scientists. So I was like, well, no, people have devoted their lives to this. No, no, they really care. And it's, and this is, so I think that uh, idea that you're talking about is so important because it can um, give patients really a sense of hope that scientists are really working hard on the problem. It's not. Um, you know, it's not an easy problem. And, um, and so I think that that initiative that you're talking about could be really powerful. And just, I, I think it's awesome. Great. Um, do you guys want to talk about any other um, future plans of uh, connected or as I was calling it connecting one D? Sorry. We haven't worked out what the best name is. We've heard both. Okay, um, good. I think, I, I mean, one of the things I think that we have been anxious about is, you know, how how do we keep this sustainable? You know, right now we've only got four studies on our on our slate, and um, we've got this soft launch just begun, but we're going to need to keep you know fresh material, new trials, updates, and things like that, and that you know takes time and effort, as I'm sure you are very aware from from this initiative. Yes. Um, I think again. Everyone cares about diabetes, but not everyone is going to be able to participate in a, in trials. Yeah. But again, I think there are surveys that people can express their voice, express their opinion. I think that's going to be very valuable for them. And I think some of the other aspects is a kind of a trusted source of information and education to some extent. We, we res I mean, I think there was temptations to try to replicate things that, that were existed or be the one common source of truth. I think we're hoping to be a network of networks, but if we could have some basic launching off points that if these, these were the only 10 things you knew, you'd be better that, than, than you were before. I, I think we would like to focus on those things, but I think your comments earlier about fragmentation in the diabetes research community, that's, we're all looking for a bit of glue or something to hold us together. Uh, and maybe we can contribute to that. Um, I mean, Kate, we've talked a little bit about partnerships with uh, T1D Exchange and other things like that, um, and maybe EMRs as well. Do, do you want to talk about those things or are they too, too far in the future? Yeah, I think that we can look to T1D Exchange for a lot of um, great, uh, great ideas, and they definitely will be part of the collaborative process moving forward, I think. Um, you know, the questions of the day, just knowing, um, having that way to connect with other people who might um, be experiencing similar things to you and knowing that, you know, you're not the only mom um, who feels a certain way or your kid's not the only one sneaking food at night, you know, just knowing that 50% of the parents we polled also felt the same way would I think um, add value to the people living with diabetes who were trying to, you know, bring value to and encourage them to really have their voices heard in this research process as well. So I think there are a lot of ways that we can go. Um, 
it's it's really the tip of the iceberg right now. So uh, it's exciting times. Yeah. Oh, it certainly is exciting times. I think there's um, there. It does seem to me, just sort of from the bird's eye view, that there's a real symbiosis that will probably evolve between uh, you guys at Connect Connected and uh, T1D Exchange, and um, probably snowball into something really powerful. So I'm, um, you know, optimistic. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, I, I think what you're doing is fantastic. And thank you again for joining us. Not thank you all. so much I mean, for having us. We, we should probably also thank, you know, our funders and, and JDRF have been, you know, important partners with us uh, on this journey, along with uh, the funding from CIHR. And again, we've got good connection with Diabetes Canada. And so the kind of connections with not-for-profits and charities and, and NGOs is, is really important. But again, not least thanks to our patient partners who've been so very generous with their advice and expertise and opinions. And as long as Kate helps us remember to keep listening to them, I think we'll not go too far wrong. Yes. And also our friends at UHN who make all of the digital uh, solutions work for us yeah. in the way we envision them as well. Yeah, it's amazing collaboration. And I would just shout out to remind scientists and clinicians to join um, Connected. Uh, take a look at what they're doing and, um, you know, uh, uh, be, be part of the solution. Thank That's you again. Good. Thanks. Thank you.